The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning. Is it on? I can't tell. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, yeah, my name is Mike. Um, I um, have been on the journey of failing admission for about five years, um, and I've failed well. So that means I have a lot to uh, share. Um, and um, mainly it's that um, that thing, like mission is failure. Um, it's us decreasing so that he can increase. It is us entering into something that is impossible for us to do. Um, if you've not entered into something impossible, you've not yet entered into mission. Not his mission. He wants to do something through you that you cannot do. Um, and this text, this, this place that, we've, that we're reading and looking at is probably one of those... My favorite place is to kind of root in and look at what Jesus is saying to us through that. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this passage, and then I'm going to try my best to get as um, practical and put some flesh on this as best I can. I'm going to really, really work. I'm actually going to use my phone to do that, to uh, be respectful of your time. Thank you, so that you can see my beautiful face. <laughs> Oddly enough, looks a lot like Jonathan's, so sorry about that. <laughs> I know what you were thinking. Um, so we're just going to go through all that we can, and then, you know, um, I'll cut it off and close it out, um, but hopefully it can be, uh, an, this will be an invitation to maybe a an ongoing conversation. So if you feel the Spirit through this time moving you to dig deeper, just know that I'm available to really talk about a lot of those implications for you in your life because it probably will require a lot more conversation um, to see what it looks like to have disciple-making relationship in every area of your life. So let's dig in. Um, So this passage, Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, little children, yet a little while while I'm with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now also to say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So there are four imperatives that I want to kind of point out about this passage that Jesus is sharing, this moment that Jesus is sharing. He's in the Lord's Supper, and Judas has left out. That's when he says, just as he got up. So he's here with his disciples, not including Judas. I think it's really important that we see that what he's saying is the very moment Judas walks out the door. So when when he can't see Judas's butt anymore, he starts saying these words to these guys. These that are here with him. And there's some imperatives that come from this that are, I think, really important. Uh, one is that God is our teacher. 
I think it's important that we see that God is this cosmic God, this creator of all things, that Jesus is saying, this is the one whom I've come to glorify, this is the one who's going to glorify himself in me, and that in, and that in these moments and throughout the life that Jesus has had with his followers, these, these now 11 men, that he's saying, like, God is your teacher. God intends to teach you. It's, his, it's who he is. All through the Old Testament, all, all, all to this point, even having the Old Testament and having all of these things that God has said to us, he sends his son so that we might know. And he sends his son to teach us. Um, so to see God as our teacher, we see in this passage that he gives a new commandment. Well, if there's a new commandment, and that applies the authority and the intention to command it all. Because those commandments are not, the, we go all the way back, ten commandments, they're not rules. The Bible is not about rules. The commandments are about teaching. It's about showing a way. A way of life. A way of living. And God wants his people to see that. It's his intention from the very beginning. As soon as he gives Moses the law, as soon as he gives him these Ten Commandments, he says, write them on your heart. That's when he gave it to them. That we would stitch them onto our heart so that it would compel us. The second imperative there is that we see Jesus teaches us about the love of God. He says, I want you to love one another. This is new commandment I want to give you. I want you to love one another. That, that he would say that to these 11 guys is really important because it, it, it shows us something. It shows us that the way Jesus disciples us, um, it displays his love. The way he disciples us displays his love. Um, if that's true, then I think we would do well to see the way he disciples us. Right? For us to look at that, for us to pay attention to that. That there's a way that he does this. There's a method. There's a mechanism. There's a process. He has a vision for that. And he's saying, this is the way I have loved you. It's the way I show my love to you. Jesus, over and over and over again, turns away the crowds. He lives his life teaching, not among the crowds. He walks with a select group of people. At this point, 11, by the time Acts comes around, there's 120, and we could probably apply, imply that those 120 people that he's been walking around and teaching are not the ones crying out, crucify him as he goes to the cross, but that they see his life differently. They see his teaching differently. They are compelled to what he's saying, and they want to do it. The third thing there. And I think this is really important, is that we are loved ones of Jesus. We are loved by Jesus. He says to these 11 men, you're going to seek me. You're going to look for me. And you're not going to find me. Because where I'm going, you can't come. This harkens back to chapter 7 of John. 
where he says almost the exact same thing to the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus even refers to it. This is what I said to the Jews. I'm saying it also to you. I told the Jews, you're going to look for me one day and you're not going to see me. I'm saying the same thing to you guys. You're going to look for me and you're not going to see me. And in that moment, he leaves us as a presence in one another's lives in his absence. You're going to look for me and you're not going to find me. Therefore, I want you to love one another. You're going to need each other. So if this is going to happen, it's going to take you guys doing this with one another. And that's your act of love toward one another. Make sense? And then the last thing there, the last imperative there, that we, we make others feel as valued and loved as he makes us. So in other words, if he's telling us we can do this, then I believe him. He calls us to love like he loves so let's look at this new commandment for a second. Like he says, look, I'm giving you this new commandment. I want you to love one another just as I've loved you. That implies that, okay, we know in, in another place, these guys come to him and they go, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, I want you, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's terrible math. So he gives two commandments when they ask him for the greatest. But, but he's got a point. And his point is this. You can't do the first if you don't do the second. See, if he had stopped with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, every religious man in front of him would have gone, that's exactly what I was thinking. He's good. With every Jew in his midst, he's good. His death nail comes with the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that rids you of your religion. Because your religion does you no good in the second. And with these guys, these 11... He goes even further. That wasn't far enough. See, before he says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's saying, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. In the first, he says, I want you to love others the way you would love you. To these 11 men, he says, I want you to love others the way I would love you. That's different. That's impossible now we're on mission he's saying you're going to need me and you're going to need one another this all still involves me I'm still going to go with you I'm going to empower you I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit in, in chapter 20 he's going to get there he says just as the father sent me so I'm sending you so here he's saying just as I loved you you're going to love one another later he says just as the father sent me so I'm sending you you're a sent one you're a Sent disciple, sent teacher. And all of this he wraps up with this thought, like all of this, when they see this, when they see you loving one another the way I have loved you, then they'll know you're my disciples. Then they will. 
It's not about teaching them all that I've taught you. Isn't that, isn't that significant? He doesn't say, hey, guys, that curriculum I've been giving you for the past three years, I want you to go hand that off to other people. He says, I want you to go love them. Love them the way I've loved you. Now, that definitely includes his teaching, right? I mean, that, that's what he's been doing, but it's more than that. That if they're going to go do this, then they're going to go do this uh, empowered by the Spirit, sent out, and they're going to do it in their everyday lives. We know that. We can read the, if you go read the book of Acts, you see the continuation of this. That these imply that discipleship is done the way Jesus did it. And that means that it's done, it can be done by everyone. And it's done in our homes, our jobs, and our neighborhoods. That's where Jesus did it. He didn't have a special place to go. He did it everywhere he went. In a home in Capernaum. He launched out from village to village, from a home in Bethany. He launched out. So that means something. If he goes with us and these are the things that he's telling us to do, then it's not being done by an educated elite. We kind of have like a pyramid and we put all the training kind of with these few right at the top, whether they be missionaries going off to another country or pastors staying here in this country, but all of our resources right at the tip of that pyramid. And then everyone else that does all that's empowered and called to do all the work just poorly resource them so it's not done by an educated elite and it's not done in auditoriums and classrooms at least the disciples don't think so because when he says i want you to go and make disciples they 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 obey him they go do it they know what he's talking about. We love this passage in Acts 2 where it's like, hey, they're meeting in homes, they're breaking bread, they're praying prayers, they're going to the temple. We love this. This is our small group passage, by the way. It's what we use in every small group ministry. We say, we want to be Acts 2 small groups. Why, why did they do that? Why did they, do, why did they live life like that in Acts 2? Why did they live life like they did in Acts it's just a continuation of how they lived with Jesus. They do that in the book of Acts because that's what they did in the Gospels. Philip's ministry is an extension of Jesus' ministry. Paul's ministry is an extension of Jesus' ministry. They're just doing what he said. And they're doing it the way he showed them. Make sense? So let's look at three things. We're going to look at this, like kind of how it worked out in Jesus' life and how the disciples kind of followed this. First, we're going to look at life on life. We're going to look at life in community and life on mission. This is kind of how discipleship fleshes its way out. We'll spend a lot more time on like life on life because I think it's easier to hand that off in this context. Life in community and life on mission um, is, there's a lot that can be said. In the, I mean, obviously, you know, you, uh, community is messy and so is mission. So we'll touch on those, but we won't spend as much time. So life on life. The first thing we look at is kind of like this evangel uh, uh, evangelizing relationship. Um, I still have some Baptist tendencies, so you'll see that some of these start with the same letter, just so that um, <clears throat> so I can be consistent in my hypocrisy. Um, so we have this evangelizing relationship, and what we tend to do this is kind of what we tend to do. We kind of take we kind of take discipleship 
and evangelism, and we kind of separate them. We do evangelism, and we have this way of, like, four spiritual laws, or I'm just going to go knock on somebody's door, kick it in, puke the gospel in 30 seconds, and go. And, and that's evangelism, and then if somebody actually responds to that, then we'll enter into this process of discipleship. You know, we do the evangelism first and discipleship second. Um, if you read through the Gospels, it's not, it's not quite that clean. And even the book of Acts is not that clean. And in some sense, we begin with discipleship. Doesn't somebody who comes to respond to the Gospel need to know who Jesus is, what he's done, why he did it, who he came from? Jesus starts that way. Jesus starts that way with his disciples. He, he calls them and he starts to disciple them immediately. They can't respond to the cross until the cross happens, so they're in relationship with him long before the cross. And then there's this moment where we're teaching about Jesus, telling about Jesus, walking through Jesus with someone, where we definitely do share the gospel with them, call them to respond to the gospel, to place their seeds of faith on the person of Jesus, not the deeds of the flesh, but their own possessions or their own relationships but to place their seeds of faith on him and in that way these things are tied together actually as you are walking as a disciple don't you need the gospel continually proclaimed to you in your life a lot of us may see the gospel as something that happened a while back i responded to the gospel that's not no it's not it keeps going the gospel's everything it's how we're discipled. It's how we're built up. In Ephesians 4, Paul's pretty clear on this. He says, look, you're speaking the truth in love to one another so that you build one another up to maturity. It's the way in which we grow. We keep responding to the gospel over and over. Bless you. Sorry, embarrass you from my habit. Um, so the way in which we do that is we may walk with somebody who's not yet a follower of Jesus. They've not yet placed their seeds of faith on the person of Jesus. So we look at their story. We talk to them. We listen to their story. What a different way of doing evangelism. Actually talking to somebody. Listening to them. Hearing their story, but hearing their story with gospel ears. And this is where we need to be equipped as a church. I think we're just not equipped in this. We start to talk about listening, and then, you know, we're saying, okay, I want to listen, but I'm listening for the moment that I can kind of switch on them. You know, I invite them over for a football game, and then, you know, Alabama scores a touchdown. And then after the celebration, you're like, you know, who else scores touchdowns? <clears throat> Instead, to say, you know what, I th- we think through it like, okay, there's creation, fall, redemption, new creation. It's those categories. So in creation, we think through, what is this person's identity? What are they identifying with? What am I identifying with? This is a, a mutual relationship. A lot of times as you walk through this relationship with somebody else, you'll discover that your identity is in something um, outside of Jesus as well, outside of the gospel as well becomes a mutual relationship. So you're thinking, what's, what are we identifying with? What's our story? How do we identify with our, our, our earthly father? That's going to impact how we identify with our heavenly father. We're asking good questions of them, of their life, of what's going on. The fall, what's the problem? What's this person struggling with? What are they honestly struggling with? We walk through this process a lot with drug addicts and those 
um, dealing with homelessness and a really a lot of vicious problems. And this morning, we were dealing with 4 o'clock in the morning with the same stuff. The, the relationships that have been going on for three years, and we're coming back to this place. It's the gospel's this. We keep going through problems, don't we? Like we're going to keep needing the, the gospel to be spoken into those problems. The third, the third thing there is we talk about redemption is what's my solution? What am I looking to to solve my problems? You know, if, if you're broke, you don't have a money problem. You have a spending problem, right? I mean, the problem's not that you don't have enough money. The problem is you spend all of it, right? So you've got to find those uh, different solutions. We want to hear that. What am, I, what am I placing my seeds of faith on? And then the last one there is um, new creation. What's my hope? What am I hoping is going to come out of this? What am I hoping for? I talk to people in relationships a lot, especially entering into marriage and, or dealing with difficulty, going through marriage uh, problems or heading toward divorce, and you'll ask them, like, what's your hope? What are you hoping for? I just hope to be happy. Wow. Um, could you be more general? About that? Like, I mean, what, who, what, what's that even mean? So it's like this, there's this hope. Sometimes we hope for things that are just way, like, we got to get down to, the, to what are we really hoping for? What is really our hope? I think this, uh, this world that we're looking at now, they want to hear what is the hope of this world. The gospel is not just about us having been saved. It's about us being saved. It's about that we will be saved. There is a hope for this world. There's a hope for creation. And Republicans aren't going to undo that. Nor are Democrats, right? Like, our hope is not on who's in the White House. Thank God. So, that's kind of, we go through these evangelizing relationships. And look, those relationships may be built on years and years and years of just walking through the gospel with someone. You'll never regret that. Being able to bring the gospel to bear strengthens your own faith, allows you to put your own seeds of faith onto Jesus increasingly. Make sense? The second one there is that we talk about kind of equipping relationships. So we just take a passage of Scripture like we did today. You know, we just take a passage and we, we ask four basic questions. One, who is God? But basically we're looking at this text. Who's this, who's this text say God is? Who's God? What has he done? Who am I? So what do I do? It's to our identity. Well, actually, it's God's identity. Who is he? What's he done? That affects who I am. So then it's about what do I do? Instead of us getting together and saying, you know, we're just broken creatures. Um, well, let's look at who God is. I, one, of my, one of my favorite examples of this is if we go... You know, if somebody's worrying, a lot of times, uh, especially if you're on Facebook, don't do that, but if you're on Facebook talking about theology, somebody says, I'm worried about my job, and, some, and then, the, you know, our brilliant theologians among us will post, don't worry. Jesus says, don't worry. Thank you, Genius. No, what, but, but what would be better, and it's true, it's there. I mean, you can't sit there and say, well, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus does say that. But he says something much more significant. 
He says, you have a father in heaven. The entire Sermon on the Mount is about God as your father. He says it almost at every passage. God is your father. God is your father. God is your father. Then he walks it out. If God is your father, that affects your anger. If God is your father, that affects your relationship. If God is your father, that affects your relationships with one another and with your religion. If God is your father, that affects the way in which you uh, 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 come to relationship with your possessions and what you have and what you don't have. He says, God is your father, and he cares for what? The, the grass on the ground, the lilies on the, uh, the, lilies on the ground, and he dresses them, right? Like, and he cares for the birds of the air. The point is, is Jesus is doing like a flannel graph almost right, right there, right? Like, if he cares for the grass and he cares for the air, then guess what? Everything in between. And guess what? He's not the father of the grass. He's not the father of the bird. He's your father. Your father. Now, somebody going through anxiety and worry needs somebody near them for a long period of time reminding them God is your father, whether you believe it right now or not. And we all, we often don't. We often don't believe it. But God is your father. So we equip one another in these truths, we equip one another in the gospel. Text after text after text, just looking at that. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? So now what do I do? And if you want an example of that, that's exactly what we did with John chapter 13 when I walked through it. I just simply, those imperatives, those four imperatives were just those things. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? What do I do? And the last one, there is our encouraging relationships. I know it's our other E. And you could call these things whatever you want. Just make sure they start with the same letter. Um, so we get into these encouraging relationships. These are these ongoing relationships with everybody I have in my life. I, I, I have leaders that are next door to me. I have my wife. I have um, all kinds of people that are around me that as we go, by the way, these lead to one another. If you're in an evangelizing relationship, then that should lead to that person being in an equipping relationship with you, so, which should lead to you guys encouraging one another. It's an ongoing lifetime deal. Like We don't get to disciple each other for a little while and then see ya. Why do we think that happens that way? There's no end goal other than the return of Christ. We sing today. When Jesus comes, we get to tag out. Jesus can do all this, I guess. We want to encourage one another. The way we do that is we think through four G's. God is great, God is good, God is glorious, and God is gracious. So why do we do that? Okay, well, those things are true, but we also see that almost everything we're dealing with, the sin in our life, come back to those four things. So God is great. So therefore, you don't have to be in control. I know nobody here deals with control. But if you did, like you, right, you get to this moment where you're, you're really wrestling through the things in your life that you don't have control over. That's a power issue, right? Like we want the power. I do. I want this all the time. There are times when I can't control something. We had a guy this morning that left a, a, a recovery program in the middle of the night or early in the morning hours. And, 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 I, and it's, it's so uberly frustrating to not be in control of this guy. 
so frustrating to not control him. But God is great. God's got this. I know that to be true. I just have a problem believing it. Right? That's why I'm anxious for things. Because I don't believe this is true. Or at least I'm not believing it at the moment. And so it's walking through that. That takes time. That takes relationship. That takes effort. That takes love. To let somebody be an idiot for a while. That God is good, so I don't have to seek my own satisfaction. That if God is my provider and he's good, then I don't have to seek my own satisfaction. This is what Jesus is getting to in the um, whole lilies of the valley thing. You don't have to seek after those things. That God is good, and you can trust that he's good. You can trust that he has your good in his heart. That he wants to provide for you. That gives him joy to provide for you. When I go after things, and I have a tendency to do that, to go after promotions or whatever, it's, it's, I'm just not believing that God's, I'm not believing in his goodness. I'm not placing my seeds of faith on his goodness. I'm rather placing my seeds of faith on my ability to provide. One produces the fruit of the Spirit, the other produces the deeds of the flesh. Make sense? That God is glorious, so I don't have to fear um, you know, we go through it at just about every election. You know, this moment where we go into moments of fear and, and a lot of the ways that politicians and so forth run, they kind of are good at that too, at, at eliciting this fear that we have if what, what's going to come about if we don't make this certain choice or that certain choice, if we don't put them in the office. We have a king we have a king who's glorious. He does not depend on earthly rulers. He brings them up and he tears them down. And he does all of those things to render unto him his glory. But every four years or so in November, we have a hard time believing that, don't we? And then God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. If God is gracious to me, and I have nothing to prove. We started church planting about five years ago, and throughout that journey, we tried some different things. We were going to get together a gathering, and we were going through all the typical stuff. We, we had been kind of trained and ready and been taught all we needed to know, because that's really easy to do in a class. And then I'm sitting there at some moment praying, and um, Jesus, we had this big calendar on my, my wall, and Jesus like, how much of that do you need me for? And as I kind of looked through all the things I'd written, like the, the milestones that we needed to achieve, I don't need Jesus for any of this. I can do all of this myself. So I ripped down the calendar, and I called the folks in that we had been planting with, and I said, I'm not going anywhere unless it's impossible. Because I want to know that the Spirit's with us. I want to know that Jesus is with us. So I want to find something impossible. Let's go and just step out into that. 
it's hard for us to believe that sometimes, right? Because we want to prove ourselves. We want to be good at something. We want to be the best. It's really hard to do that. So we need somebody in our life consistently pointing us to the good news of the gospel that we don't have to prove ourselves. We're not enough anyway. Um, We just don't like to hear that. All right, so then a couple of things. So that's kind of how we go through life on life with each other. Um, I have people in my life right now that I would put into that kind of evangelizing relationship. Hung out with a guy this morning at about 6.30, going to the methadone clinic that I would probably put in that evangelist. He does not know who Jesus is. He has lots of warped ideas about who he's been told Jesus is. So there's like, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship I've been with for probably about two years through deep frustrations but um, constantly trying to point him to who Jesus is, um, trusting that the Spirit will lead him that direction. And I really pray for the moment that he comes to that moment, but it's not here yet. He really struggles with his belief in God and, and, and you know, some of that. I have people that I'm in equipping relationships with, people I walk with every day, that I'm trying to get them to see that they are the church, that... God's promise is that in every one of us, because the Spirit indwells us, we carry the DNA of the church. That means every single person in this room, and this is true, if you're an indwelled spirit, if you're indwelled by the Spirit, if you've placed your seeds on faith, of faith on Jesus and live your life toward Him, then you're, you, He's indwelling you in His Spirit. And so this is true. If every other Christian on the planet was killed tomorrow, the entire church could be rebuilt by you. The entire thing. You have the DNA in you. It's what makes it viral. It's kind of like a starfish. You don't know what happens to a starfish if you cut off its legs, right? It grows them back, but those legs also grow back entire starfish impossible to stop so just like in that starfish it's DNA allows it to do that same thing with us that's what made it so powerful that's why when they tried to stamp out Stephen Philip came about it was a scattering right so um, yeah so we have these equipped we're trying to get people to see that the gospel truth is that this is happening in your home the way in which you open your home, your job. I have a full-time job that I go to Monday through Friday. Um, it's happening there. It's happening in our neighborhoods. That when Jesus says, I'm going to give you my spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is what he means. It's a really deep interpretation. He means Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right? It, it happened in Jerusalem, it happened in Judea, happened in Samaria, and guess where we are now? The ends of the earth. That means something. There's a lot of freedom in that. That means across the street is the ends of the earth. That means in your home is the ends of the earth. In Rwanda is the ends of the earth. It, it's unleashed. It's unleashed. And so 
this idea that we go back and forth with. I was talking to a Southern Baptist church planting guy recently, and I'm like, you know what they call foreign missions in the Bible? The church. You know what they call local missions in the Bible? The church. It's just the church. The church is missional. We are missional. It's our identity, not our activity. Our, our, the things we do, it's because we follow a missional God who has sent his son. So that he, so, and we're sent by his son, so we are missional. Does that make sense? And that the, the, the encouraging relationship, I have people that I walk with every day that speak this gospel truth into my life because I need this every day, right? I need people to step up and say, Mike, I don't think you're believing this right now. I'm seeing what's going on in your life. I see the ramifications of it that's always coming out in sin. Ramifications of our disbelief is always sin. Okay, the last two things there that I'm not going to really go into because it would just, there's no way that we live life in community. So we just, we're discipling in these relationships, but we also live life in community, that we open our homes, that we use our own tables, like our tables to share meals with people that don't know Jesus and those that do know Jesus. And we, it's really complicated, but it's kind of like, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? And they're like, Yeah. And then we eat dinner. I can put that in some notes and send it to you. But That we love, we want to love. If we're going to love in our homes and our jobs and our neighborhood, then and it's, we want to love in the everyday rhythms of life. We have a park near our neighborhood, and so we go to the park. And... At my job, I have opportunity to, to talk with coworkers and to eat with them. So I eat with them. We do a lot of eating. Life and community has a lot to do with meals. And there's a lot to that in the scriptures. Luke says the son of man came eating and drinking. It's true. And he calls us to do the same, to open up our meals. Even the, the context of our our passage here is in the midst of this meal that he says, I longed to share with you. I so wanted to share this with you. And then the other thing there is life on mission, which is a whole big category. But as we walk through discipling with, with each other, it's like we want to get life on life with each other. I hope we kind of see this. We want to get life on life with each other. Then we want to live in community. We want to be in neighborhoods. That may be, that may be the, the Holy Spirit may be calling people here to kind of like maybe if you already live in a neighborhood near each other, you could like move near each other and go, hey, we could do this together. We could just be in community together and start calling the people around us. It's just where you happen to live. You could live wherever you want, right? So you could just move near each other um, and start calling people around you. Um, and then, and then um, life on mission. It's not just about those people that look like us, talk like us, think like us. Like, we actually want to get around the people that are not like us. Um, we want to go find the edges, the margins of our society and of our city. And we want to go there. Um, and not just to pitch a turkey over at Thanksgiving. Like, hey, we know you guys are really hungry. Here's a Thanksgiving turkey. We walk with a lot of folks like this. Like, look, they're hungry like other times than Thanksgiving too. 
They really are. And they're hungry for more than food. They have a dignity. They're, 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 they're born in the image of God. And they struggle. They need people to struggle with them. That's love. I was talking to that guy today, 630. His name's Noah. And he was, he was saying to me, I, I think I mentioned something about what was going on in my life. We had a, a, an issue go on. He's like, man, you have, you have struggles too. And yet you come here and you're with me. But I told him, I was like, man, it's, that's love. That's love. Sometimes we can't get past our own problem. If we, if, love is when you take on someone else's stuff. Right? These aren't my issues. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna, I, want, I want to share yours. Paul calls that sharing each other's burdens. That's how we love each other. So we want to cross, cross over the margins. Don't just go to the margins and pitch a turkey, but cross over. Or if you're really bold, move there. And then you can practice community on mission, which is really powerful. Because then you can be near people that are on the margins and you can go, you want to come over for dinner? And they'll go, yeah. You go, okay. And you eat together. And you start to build relationship. And there's all kinds of margins, right? Like they're all over us. They're all around us. And it's just catching a vision. Catching Jesus' vision for what he wants to do and start to pray, start to, pray to him. But I, I really feel like forging a lot of these things can begin today. Maybe not this moment, but today sometimes you start to just say, like, who are those people in my life? Who is it that I'm walking with right now that needs to hear the good news of the gospel on a, in a long-term way? Who is it that I can be walking with to be equipped or that's going to equip me? And how am I going to get to the margins? How am I going to go there? What's going to take me there? Is it moving? Is it a business? Is it a job? There are things that can get you to that place. And keep you there. I'll say this. and um, I think mission in a lot of ways is this. Look for places where the city hurts. Look for the pain in this city. And when you find the pain in this city that breaks your heart, that really breaks your heart, go there and die. Mission's really that simple. Go there and die. Die to yourself. Die to your stuff. Right? It's worth it. Jesus says it's like a pearl of great price. You'll find the kingdom in these places. It's like a pearl of great price. You're no fool. No fool for giving up what you'll have to give up to go there and die. Right? He says, it's, he, he says it's reversed. If, you, if you'll become the least, then you'll actually find, you'll find him there. You'll find the kingdom. You'll find all those things, that, that longing, that pricking is going on in your heart. If you come to church like this and you go home and you're like, man, I wish that preacher would have been better. Except for today. He was better today. Um... I wish, I, you know, it's, it's like, I wish it was like this. I wish it, we, that longing, man, we'll find that. We'll, he'll start to heal that. 
Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a teacher. By your nature, you teach us, and you're always teaching us, and you never let a moment go by that's not imbibed by that character and nature that you have. So all of our failures, all of our triumphs, all of the things that we walk through, all of our relationships, they're teaching us, and they're leading us, and they're guiding us. And it's a beautiful truth because all we have to do is live. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that you're calling us to be this in our lives, that you've given us this platform. Wherever we live, wherever we work, you've given us this platform. So I just pray that we would surrender those things to you, knowing we don't have all the answers and we don't know how that's going to work because it's, they're, they're different people. I, I pray we surrender those things and I pray you break our hearts for those people um, around us, especially those on the margins, the poor and the powerless. Um, I pray you send us to the least and I pray you Keep us there, that you would give us the strength to plant seeds um, and that we would become the seed so that as we die, new life is brought forth. Pray all of these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. There's one God now and forever. Amen.